Well, uh, normally I have that, the fancy mic on. That's partly because I can't talk without using my hands. Um, but this morning, um, this morning we get a, a blessing and a privilege. Um, this morning, actually, our message is going to be, be given by uh, Brian. And he is the lead pastor over at Frontline. And we've been just doing some partnerships with them, and I've been able to sit under his leadership and learning just some stuff from Brian. And so I was told to introduce him today by calling him uh, entrepreneur, innovator, extraordinaire. I'm just kidding. He didn't say any of that. But in all honesty, I'm, uh, I'm excited that we have the blessing today, the blessing to hear from Brian uh, as he just kind of uh, comes in and ends our, our estimate series and I can't tell you what this guy has meant to me personally in these past few months as I've had the opportunity to learn from him and grow with him um, and just the blessing he's been in. So would you guys just welcome Brian as he comes and gives a message this morning? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Oh, man. Well, good morning, guys. How are you? Great. It's good to be with you. Good to see you. And um, thank you, Kyle, for all of that. I, I feel like I should have paid you for all of that. Man, my goodness. Um, uh, do you know, it's an exciting time to be part of the story. Do you know that? Uh, just Even just coming in, somebody who's known about you guys and been kind of a sister church um, for a while, just watching what God is doing right now, it's just an incredible thing to see. And uh, you're, you're in on the ground floor of something. I think God is just getting started with this place and all that he's going to do. Even in the midst of this past year and all the disruption and the craziness, uh, God is at work. And that's just a really cool thing to be able to see. Um, so I'm excited to be here with you today. I'm excited to be closing out this series. We, we're talking about the connection between uh, faith and our finances is what we're talking about. Uh, my wife, Carrie, and two of my four boys, my two youngest, are with us here. I see they made it in uh, the back, so they're joining us today. When, um, when my four boys were much younger, my wife and I thought it would be a really great idea to take them to the beach Right? It sounds like a really fun thing to do. Go to the beach with four young kids. Nobody tells you that that's going to be a tremendous amount of work. Anybody ever actually tried that? So you, you, you drag all this stuff. We get to the beach. And my idea of going to the beach, I wanted to lay out, you know, enjoy the, the sun and the waves and the, the sound and the wind and everything. And we would get there. What my four boys would do is they would run straight into the water. They would go out, you know, the, that line of buoys, you know, that, that shows like this is the, the deep end. They would go out past that line where their feet could not touch. And they would essentially just try to drown each other. That's what they were doing. This holding each other under. They're not paying attention to boats or jets skis around them. They're just literally trying to die. And so uh, my wife, Carrie, would say to me, you can't rest. You can't lay down. You have to go out there in the water. You have to keep eyes on them at all times, which was not my idea of why I was there at the beach. And so I discovered an alternate path to controlling them. What I did is I went out in the water and I said, hey, boys, have you guys ever heard of Megalodon? No joke, did you know they spotted a megalodon right out here in this very lake? Yeah, he just ate a kid last week. <laughs> but then I would say, but don't worry. You know, megalodon doesn't come up in this nice little shallow area right here where you're allowed to be. In fact, you see that line of buoys right out there? They put that up so you know where megalodon is. If you go out, you know, if you stay right here in this shallow area, you're going to be fine. Everything's going to be good. But if you go out past that line of buoys you will certainly be eaten by a large prehistoric shark. <laughs> That's what's going to happen to you. And the most amazing thing would happen, they would, it worked. They would stay right where they were supposed to be. Now, I know what you're thinking. Aren't you a pastor? 
you know, isn't that technically lying to your kids? And I understand why you might think that because the answer is yes. <laughs> and it worked. They stayed right where they were supposed to be. The reason I, I tell you that story is because that is exactly what the enemy of our souls does to you and does to me all the time when it comes to our faith. He tells us lies about our safety so that we'll stay in the shallow places of life when it comes to our faith. All, my boys, all they wanted to do was just go out in the deep end. That's what, that's what they wanted to do. But now they're afraid, right? Now that they, they've got this fear of something that they didn't really need to be afraid of, but they don't know it's a lie. So now they're afraid and it's keeping them right where they need to be. Here's the question I want to ask you as we go into our text this morning. If you go ahead to that next slide, what is, what is safety costing you? What is safety costing you in your life? Because I guarantee safety is costing you something. Uh, whether you're here in this room, whether you're, you're watching online, I, I guarantee for some, safety is costing us something. For some of us today, safety is costing us purpose, meaning in life. Uh, there could be meaning and there could be purpose to life, but we're staying right where it's safe, right where it's comfortable, and so we're, we're not experiencing that. For, for some of us here, uh, safety is costing you intimacy with Jesus, a deeper walk with Christ. May, maybe you're sitting there going, I, I just can't figure out why God seems far away. I, just, I feel like I'm in this place in life where God just seems distant. I can't seem to connect with him like I used to. It's because maybe we're staying in the shallow places, the safe places. For, for others of us, I would say specifically when it comes to the area of giving and generosity, uh, safety oftentimes costs us joy. The joy of actually seeing how God wants to use us and, and allow us to, to bless other people. And there's joy and freedom that comes when we see how he wants to use us. I love what you just shared a minute ago, Kyle, about the way God is using the generosity of just this church. And it's not only blessing the community, it's inspiring Sam's Club. You know, other members of the community to jump on board and say, hey, we want in on that too. Why would Sam's Club want in on that? It's because it's fun. <laughs> There's joy when you actually get to be a part of seeing God use you to bless people. I grew up in the home of a credit union organizer. My dad uh, managed credit unions. He uh, or helped start credit unions. He was a consultant and a manager for credit unions. And so I, I would say my parents were really good with money. My, my parents modeled for me what it meant to be good with money and to make wise decisions with money. But in my home, money was security. That's what it represented. And so... Um, Always, money was a way to remain safe. Money was a way to kind of continue to, to hold on to security and safety. In fact, I remember when I was 18 years old, I felt like God was calling me into ministry to become a pastor. And so I remember coming to my dad and sitting down with my dad. I, I'm a first-generation pastor. Nobody else in my family's ever been a pastor. I sat down with my dad and I said, yeah, dad, I think when I graduate high school this year, I, I think I'm supposed to go to Bible school and I'm supposed to become a pastor, and my dad, it just sort of blew his mind. He wasn't, it wasn't that he wasn't proud of me or wasn't supportive. He was very supportive. But the question he just kept asking again and again was, he just said, Brian, how will you make money? And I was like, I don't know, dad. I don't even really understand how pastors get paid. I don't think they get paid very much. Ha ha. <laughs> and and, my, and my, that was the question. He just kept saying it over and over again. But, but how will you make money? How will you make money? That was the, that was the big question. He couldn't wrap his mind around. This lie that I believed growing up, Kyle referenced it a couple weeks ago, but, but the lie I believed growing up was the more money I have, the safer I will be. 
I want to drill into that for a moment because it's been a lie that I've wrestled with. I would, I would say to you, I still wrestle with this lie, this idea that the more money I have, the safer somehow I'm going to be in life. You know, sometimes we talk about greed, right? I mean, maybe for some of us watching online or here in the room, maybe for some of you that's the motive of your heart that God needs to work through is, is greed and the way that money has a hold on you. But I would say for far more of us, for many, many more of us, it's not actually greed, it's fear. It's we've believed this lie about our safety, that the more money I have, the safer I'm going to be. And that's what actually call, you know, keeps us in the shallow places when it comes to our faith. And so today, I just want to explore that lie a little bit. So our anchor text is Proverbs 18. That's where we're going to go. Proverbs 18, starting in verse 10. It says this, The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. I mean, if you think about it, that's, that encapsulates the gospel message, doesn't it? The name of the Lord, the name of Jesus is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are saved. Jesus is the only true security in this world. He's the only true form of of safety and the only true fortress we're ever really going to have in this life. But look at what the next sentence says. It says, the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it, their wealth, to be a high wall of safety. So, So oftentimes what happens is we run not to the name of the Lord as our strong fortress. We run to our wealth as a form of safety. That's what we do. And this was written, you know, thousands of years ago, but it's still just as true about us today in our culture, in our world, because it's true about humanity. It's true of all of us as human beings. We run to wealth and to security as a way of feeling safe and and as a way of securing our future. But if you think about it in our country, we, we do it in these kind of unique ways. Let me show you this. This is from the Census Bureau. If you go ahead to that next slide. Um, this just shows over the last 70 years how the average size of a new U.S. home has just ballooned. So in 1950, the average size of a brand new U.S. home was 983 square feet. That was the average size for an average family in America. By 1970, it had grown to 1,500 square feet. It was a 53% increase. And by 2014, it had grown to 2675 square feet, which is a 78% increase. And actually, it's even grown a little bit since then. New homes that are being built even now in 2020 and 2021 are even larger than that as an average. But this doesn't actually even tell the whole story. Because what the Census Bureau also reported is that the average family size in 1950 in this little 983 square foot home was 3.37 people. But if you go all the way to 2014, because of divorce rates and because of families that have separated, the average number of people living in an American home went down to 2.6. So literally what it means is we are taking up three times the amount of space as we were per person as we were 70 years ago. Now you would think, right, when you see that, you would think, well, obviously then we probably have all kinds of room in our houses, right? Like if I go to your house, you probably just got rooms just open and full and I mean, nothing's there. You know, you can just walk around the rooms. We've got all kinds of extra space for all of our possessions, right? Wrong. If you, a simple Google search will reveal to you that one of the fastest growing industries in America right now is the personal storage industry. In fact, this year, 2021, it's expected to eclipse $40 billion, $40 billion in America for the personal storage industry. 
I'm talking about places where people rent space to store their stuff that they can't fit in their house. This is growing at an exponential rate. And we kind of wonder, like, why do we see this? Why do things keep growing like this? Um, And I think the question that we have to ask is, has this actually led to safety? I mean, has this sort of expansion of our stuff, this running to our wealth and our possessions, has it actually led to any form of safety? I mean, think about, I don't know if you realize this, but Kyle and I were just talking about this before, um, before our service this morning, that yesterday and today is like the one-year anniversary of when everything shut down from COVID. Do you realize that? We're talking about like, what were you doing on Friday the 13th of March this, la- this time last year? We were on the phone trying to talk to everybody, like, what are we doing? How are we going to do church? We're going to have to close everything down. And our economy, I mean, has, has just gone up and down, and some industries have really suffered over the last year. I mean, has, has our wealth, has it, did it really make us safe from a pandemic? No. <laughs> our, our wealth doesn't actually equal safety, even though we believe that lie that it does. And oftentimes, we, we kind of embrace this without even, without even realizing it. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, well, yeah, okay, my wealth didn't make me safe, but at least it made life easier, right? Maybe I don't believe the lie that the more money I have, the safer I will be, but the more money I have, surely the easier life will be. But what we're finding is, as our world is discovering even that lie isn't true, uh, this is from, um, this, this was a study done in February 2018 by MarketWatch. They did this huge nationwide survey. It's fascinating what they found. They found that once we reach a certain household income, and for whatever reason, the magic number is $105,000 per household. I don't know why that's the magic number, but that's the, the magic number they found. Once you reach that point, more income, here's the quote, tended to be associated with reduced life satisfaction and a lower level of well-being. Do you understand what that's saying? It's saying, think of it like a bell curve, right? So like to a, at a certain point, you know, more wealth, more income makes life better. It makes life easier. You know, it's, it, once your basic needs are, are getting met, things actually get better and easier, and you're not in this place of financial insecurity, but there's this kind of point at the top, $105,000 per household, where actually the bell curve starts to go down this way, and more income doesn't make life better. It doesn't make it easier. It actually adds to more problems, and it's not, the study goes on, it's not just adults who are impacted, it said children who come from affluent families beyond that 105,000 point are more likely to suffer from depression, anxiety, and substance abuse than those who come from less affluent families. Now, here's the thing, if, I'm guessing there are people in this room who, who make more than 105,000, you know, in their household income, the goal is not to feel bad, if, if God's blessed you, that's awesome, praise God. That's not a bad thing. That's nothing, something to be depressed. The point I'm trying to make is that research is showing over and over again in our world that more income, more money doesn't necessarily make life easier or better. At, at a certain point, once your basic needs are met, once you're not in some place of you know, financial crisis, more money actually doesn't lead to an easier, safer, better, happier, more joy-filled existence. And really what's happening is our world is just discovering what the Bible has been saying all along. And it's the main kind of core idea of our, of our teaching today. It's this idea, when we talk about estimate, that we tend to overestimate safety and we tend to underestimate faith. We tend to overestimate the value of safety in our lives when it comes to our finances and we underestimate the value of God wants to bring into our lives when we move toward Him in faith. 
It's not about something that God wants from you. It's about a life that he wants for you. We tend to overestimate kind of creating this life of safety for ourselves, and we underestimate the, the journey, the excitement, the adventure of following God in faith. So what happens is when you begin to move toward God in faith in the area of your finances, what you begin to discover is that you, you begin to discover life actually has more purpose and more meaning. But when you actually begin to walk in faith in, the er- in that area of your life, particularly in the area of finances, suddenly there's purpose, there's meaning to life that just work and saving money doesn't bring. You begin to discover as you move toward God in faith with your finances that you, you, you begin to have a deeper walk, a deeper level of trust and dependence on the Holy Spirit and a deeper level of trust in Jesus because you're trusting him for your needs in ways that you weren't before. And also, there begins to become joy, as we were talking about before. There's joy as you begin to see how God actually wants to use you to impact other people for the kingdom of God. This is about what God wants for you. And so with the time we have left uh, remaining, I just want to talk about how do we do that? We're going to wrap up this series talking about how do we move toward God in faith in the area of our finances? How do we do that? So I want to show you, we're going to listen in right now to a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. And it's all about this very powerful principle about how to move toward God in faith when it comes to your finances. So let's jump in. This is in Mark Uh, chapter 12, starting in verse 41 is where we're going. It says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now, let me just kind of unpack for a second what what we just read there. Jesus is in the temple. That's where he is in Jerusalem. And uh, Jesus is at a place called the Temple Treasury. Now, that was a spot that was in the court of the women, and it was a very public spot where people were walking in and they were walking out. And so if you can picture this Temple Treasury, there were these 13 trumpet-shaped containers. They were made of of metal that were there in, in the temple. And so each one of these containers had an inscription on it. So like one of them said, wood. Because they were, they were offering sacrifices in the temple, so they had to burn wood constantly, so somebody had to pay for that wood. That money had to come from somewhere. Another one of them said salt. The Old Testament talks about how every offering is to be salted, so somebody had to pay for the salt. Another one said incense, because they were using incense. There were these 13 containers that were basically for the operation and the upkeep of the temple and for the sacrificial system. And so what's happening is people would go in and they would go out. I mean, hear the sound of, like, change clattering, you know, cha-ching. I mean, that's what what you're hearing as people are walking by and they're putting money into these uh, containers. Jesus goes and he just stands right there at kind of this, this entry point, this walk point, right in front of the temple treasure and he's just sort of watching people as they're going by and he's watching what they're putting in the offering bins. Seems a little awkward, doesn't it? I mean, can you imagine if after the service I just went to the back here, wherever you said that the, uh, the offering boxes were, I just kind of sat there and, hey, hey, and I just kind of watched. Yeah, interesting. Seems like the thing you would not want to do, but this is exactly what Jesus does. And he's sitting here and he's watching, he's observing what people are putting into the temple treasury. Let's keep going. It says, many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, 
Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And what Jesus is doing here, don't miss it, is he's teaching a very powerful principle about how to move toward God in faith when it comes to our finances. And it's a principle I want to just pass on to you today. So so the question we have to ask is, how in the world were rich people putting less money in the treasury than poor people, than like a poor widow with only a couple of pennies, basically, in in our money today? How was it that Jesus would estimate that she she actually put in more money than rich people? Here's the key. It has nothing to do with the amount in God's eyes. It has to do with the percentage. It has nothing to do with the amount. It has everything to do with with the percentage. See, what God is interested in for, for his people, for his church, for us in this room and for those of us watching online today, what God is interested in is not the amount. He, he's interested in the percentage. He's not trying to raise up funds. God doesn't need our money. He's trying to raise up our faith. It's not about everybody giving an equal amount. It's about everybody making an equal sacrifice. Why? Because it's about our faith. That's why. It's not about our money. It's about our faith. It's about what happens in our lives. It's about what happens in our hearts when we begin to trust God and we begin to trust him in that area of our lives. We have to to begin to see that Giving is connected to our faith. This is why Jesus in uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I think we talked about this in this series, talks about how wherever your money is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if, we're gonna, if God wants your heart, if he wants your faith to grow in him, we got to talk about money. we got to talk about your money. Why? Because your faith and your treasure are intimately connected. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, let me just be really clear here what I don't mean. Because a lot of times when people hear, okay, I need, I need to trust God and have faith in it when in the area of my giving, it's not about equal you know, gifts, it's about equal sacrifice, it's about raising up faith. A lot of times what people think is, okay, what does that mean? I've literally had conversations with people who hear, you know, when we've talked about these kind of things before, and they'll say things like, man, does that mean I just have to like sell all my possessions and move to Africa? And the answer is, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. I mean, maybe God wants that for some of you. I don't, I don't really know. I don't think so, though. That's not where my mind immediately goes. Faith is not just taking some crazy risk with your money, okay? That's not what faith is when we talk about faith. Let, let me define it for you. Faith is being obedient to what God calls us to do even when it's risky, Okay, hear that. Faith is not just taking some dramatic, crazy risk. It's being faithful and obedient to do what God's called us to do, even when it's risky, even when the heat gets turned up, even when you go through a global pandemic, even when things are unstable and security seems to be threatened. Faith is being obedient to God to do what he's, you've committed to do, even when it's risky. And specifically, the way that works in our lives is we have to get to this place, if we're going to walk with God in our finances, where, we, where you pre-decide your percentages. Remember, it's not about the amount, it's about the percentage. We get to a place where we have to pre-decide our percentages, okay? So, so what that means, uh, last week, Kyle talked about this practice of tithing, 
right? Tithing is returning back to God the first 10% of our income. So whenever God blesses, whenever he, he increases our, our wealth, whenever he uh, provides a paycheck, we take that first 10% and we've pre-decided in our hearts, we're going to take that first 10% and return it back to God. And we pre-decide that. Why is that so important to pre-decide it? It's because that's going to get tested. <laughs> the heat's going to get turned up at some point in life. We're going to have at some point some level of struggle. So we're talking about our heart, but, we're, but when we talk about pre-deciding our percentages, what we're talking about is our habits. Our habits are where our faith really gets lived out in our lives. Now, why is this so important to do? Here's why it's so important to do, because a lot of Christians, I will tell you, like most Christians will approach giving in this way. They'll basically say, you know, I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to wait for God to prompt my heart to give, and then I'm going to give, right? So I'm going to wait, I'm going to hold off, and you know, when there's a specific need, then I'll give, or when, or when God, you know, moves in my heart and I, and I feel like just prompted to give, then I'll give. And I'm not saying that that's never what you should do. There are times where you should do that, but the problem with that sort of approach to giving is that you're still in control. <laughs> Instead of giving what you've pre-committed to God to give, no matter what happens, and, and to trust Him and walk in faith with that, you're still relying on your own emotions, you're letting your emotions kind of decide and dictate when you give and what you give and where you give and all that kind of thing. And so, so what God is inviting us into is this place where we pre-decide and say, I'm going to decide, I'm going to be faithful. And what happens is we get to the end of the week, we get to the end of the month, and we've been faithful in that area and we see God move in our lives. Instead of getting to the end of the month and going, man, well, I wish I could have given something, but I, you know, at the end of the month, God didn't you know, speak in my heart and so I had nothing left over. Sorry. God wants us to live out of a place of faith where we, we follow through and pre-decide what we'll discipline ourselves to live on and then discipline ourselves on what we're going to give. And if you've already pre-decided your percentages, maybe you're a person that's already living in the practice of, of tithing. And um, I, I just want to remind you, tithing is a starting point in the scriptures for where we, we start when it comes to living in percentages. My wife and I have challenged ourselves over the years to, as God has continued to bless, to continue to live in this place of saying, God, uh, how, what do you want us to give away this year? And we've increased our percentages even beyond the tithe as he's continued to bless. When we talk about faith, faith is always, and we say this at Frontline all the time, um, if you're around me for any amount of time, this is how I've, I've learned to walk in faith, and, and it's a, a statement I use a lot, but it's this idea that uh, faith is always a move of yes before how. Whenever you see God call his people or, or call an individual in the scriptures to step out and respond in faith to him, it is always an invitation to say yes, even when I don't know the how yet. The reason that's important is because oftentimes what we do, right, when, whenever, whenever there's this decision before us, man, I've got to step out in faith, I'm going to trust God, I'm going to say yes here. A lot of times what we do is we say, okay, God, I want to say yes to this, but here's the deal, God, can you answer me? How are you going to provide for me if I do that? Uh, how are you going to take care of me in the midst of this time? How are these people going to respond, God, if they realize that I've made this decision and I'm doing this? How, how is it all going to work out for me? And so we, we have all these how questions. And we say, God, if you answer all my how questions, then I'll say yes. But again, the problem with that is that's not faith. That's still you in control, basically trying to, to arrange the situation Faith, all, all throughout the scriptures, you will never find an example where faith is not a, a, a yes, even when there's not all the how questions answered. 
And the way we say yes before how, when it comes to our finances, the way we walk in faith in that way is by pre-deciding what am I going to live on and what am I going to give? How, do we, how am I going to do that? When I think about the faith moves that God has called me to make over the course of my life, uh, 100% of the time, there is no exception, there has always been a financial risk component. Every single time. There's never been a moment where God's called me to step out in faith in some way in my life to trust Him that has not involved some kind of financial risk. I'll tell you the time in our marriage for Carrie and I where this was tested the most. Uh, Carrie and I got married, and from the very beginning in our marriage, we decided we were going to pre-decide our percentages. We decided that we were going to live by uh, the biblical principle of tithing, that we were going to live on 90% of our income and that we were going to trust God and return the first 10% of our income whenever he blessed. So we were living in that for the first few years, and then what happened is uh, God called us. I was a, a youth pastor at a large church in Roanoke, Virginia, and our oldest son, Alan, had just been born, and uh, we just felt God calling us to move across the country to Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was in 2001 is when we moved uh, to be a part of Frontline. Frontline, uh, we've been at Frontline for 20 years now. It was a one-year-old church plant when we first went there. It was like 70 people, 80 people, something like that, just kind of in its first year getting going. And so let me tell you what was supposed to happen, right? We're saying yes to this faith move. We're being called. We're going to go out. And I really, truly felt like God is calling us. This is the next step in our lives. Here's what was supposed to happen. What was supposed to happen was our house in Roanoke, Virginia, which we own, was supposed to sell like that so, and so that we were able to buy a house in Grand Rapids immediately. That was what was supposed to happen. The other thing that was supposed to happen was I, I was supposed to make an upward move in my career, Right? I was supposed to make more money. I'm moving from being a youth pastor to be, being a worship and assimilation pastor at this other church. That's supposed to, right? You move across the country for an upward move. Isn't that the way it works? Isn't that the way you understand it? Uh, the other thing that was supposed to happen was our standard of living was supposed to go up. Right? We have a baby now. We, we got we to gotta, uh, gotta provide. Here's what actually did happen. We moved and almost immediately within a couple months after we moved here, 9-11 happened in 2001. And our house in Roanoke, Virginia did not sell. The market froze up and it did not sell for almost a year. For a year, we made a mortgage payment on our house every month and a rent payment at good old York Creek Apartments right here in lovely Comstock Park, Michigan. Every morning waking up to the smell of pot from our neighbor starting the day off well. And we made these double payments. The other thing that was supposed to happen was Frontline actually paid me less than the church I was working at previously. And I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I didn't even like totally put all that math together and realize it until after we moved here. I got paid less. They were in a different place financially and just couldn't afford to pay me more. And so we moved across the country for less money and our standard of living went down. It's the poorest we've ever been in our lives. Uh, we ate macaroni and cheese and tuna out of the can. You know how you could buy like that 35-cent can of tuna from Meyer and just eat, I would just, that was my lunch. I would just eat it straight out of the can. We were so poor. So poor to the, in fact, to the point where like we did not, it was so much stress. It put so much stress on our marriage because we couldn't make the payments every month. I mean, literally not enough is coming in. When you looked at it, it was like, we literally don't have enough coming in. We can't pay our bills this month. What are we going to do? And so I remember we had this defining moment this conversation, it ha I can never, I'll never forget it happened in our little kitchenette at York Creek Apartments, in our apartment there. 
And I said to Carrie, and I'll admit I was the one that said this, I said, listen, I just think we can't afford to tithe right now. Not forever. I'm not saying like that we'll never do it again. I said, but just for right now, just for this season of our lives, we just can't afford to tithe. And it was a defining moment in our marriage. Uh, my wife's response, I'll never forget, and my wife always seems to have more faith than me. It's been a consistent thing in our marriage. Her response was, she looked right at me, she said, I don't think we can afford not to tithe. We need God in this with us right now. Are you kidding me? We need him involved. If there was ever a time where we needed God involved in our lives, it's right now. We can't afford not to tithe. I'll tell you, not only did we continue to tithe through that entire year of our lives until that house sold, but we also made every payment that we had. We didn't miss a single bill. I don't even know how that happened. I don't have the math to explain that. Literally, I mean, crazy stuff would happen. I could tell you story after story of, like, money would show up unexpectedly. I remember people would, like, recalculate a bill that, like, we thought we owed this, and they'd come back, oh, no, actually, you don't owe that. And, I mean, crazy stuff happened, but every, every month we paid all our bills. But to me, the most important part, as I remember that time in our lives, the most important thing to me wasn't that we managed to pay every bill that we had. The most important thing to me is that I look back on that time of our marriage and our lives as a time where we went deeper in our faith and our dependence and our trust on God. God grew our faith in him during that time in our lives as in ways that he has at few other times in our lives. We grew so much in our trust in God. And see, what happens is when you go through a time like that where you see God sustain you through a time where you've had to trust him and you've had to be obedient even when it was risky, what happens is the next time you get into a place in life where, you know, you're scared, where, you know, fear is, is rising up to take you, what happens is you've been here before. Let's say like you get into a place in life where the cancer comes back you know where to run. You know where to turn. Because you've been through this before. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to him and are safe. The wealth think of their, the, the rich think of their wealth as a high tower of defense. They think it's going to be the thing that saves them. One of my favorite, as, as we wrap up here, one of my favorite uh, descriptions of the gospel in the entire New Testament is uh, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Yeah, Ben, you guys can come on back up. I, I love this description of the gospel because Paul puts the gospel in financial terms. In terms of like what we're talking about today, this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 8. He describes the gospel by saying that Jesus, though he was rich, became poor on our behalf so that through his poverty we might become rich. That the treasure of God, the riches of God might be ours through what Jesus did. See, what, what, he's, what he's saying is that Jesus is a lot better father than I was. Jesus doesn't tell us about megalodon, you know, in an attempt to control us when it comes to our finances. That's what the enemy does. What Jesus did is Jesus went out into the deep end of life. And he faced head on the only real enemy that any of us is ever going to have to face in our lives. It's death itself. And he dealt with it head on at the cross. And then Jesus says, you got to come out here. You got to trust me. You got to come out into this place. You got to come out into the deep end. There's, a, there's an entire life if you just trust me, if you just come out into this place. But what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to push past your own fear. You're going to have to push past your own 
uh, belief that the more money I have, the safer I will be. And you have to walk out and trust me in that place. So you bow your heads with me. As we close today, uh, this isn't really a financial conversation as much as it is a faith conversation. This isn't about the church. You heard Kyle just share a second ago how God's blessing and moving here in a powerful way. This is not about trying to wrangle more money out of people. This is about, do you want in? Do you want in? So Jesus, right now we just come before you and we just declare in this place that the name of the Lord is the only true strong tower. It's the only true sense of security. It's the only real safety we have in this world is in you, Jesus. So we confess to you the ways in which we believe the lie that, you know, safety is found in our wealth, that it's a high tower, a high defense. And for some of us, God, in this room, safety has been costing us. It's been holding us back. It's been keeping us in the shallow places of life when it comes to our faith. And so this morning, Jesus, we say to you, yes, yes. Even if we don't know the how, even if the heat's getting turned up in our lives and we don't know, God, we want to live the kind of lives where the next trial we go through, the next situation we go through, we just know where to turn, we know where to go because it's in you that we find our faith. It's in you that we find our hope. It's in you that we find uh, our true sense of safety. And so Jesus, we trust you this morning. Uh, God, I just pray for each one of us, God, that we would just um, respond to the voice of your Holy Spirit, whatever you're saying to each one of us, to step into a place of trust and obedience with you, whatever that means, <laughs> whatever the cost looks like of that. God, because what you want for us and what you're going to do in our lives is so much greater than anything that we're going to face. So God, thank you, Jesus, even as we head into this uh, Easter season, to we wrap up this series today and we head into, uh, into our Easter series next week, God, we just thank you that you, though you were rich, left heaven, became poor on our behalf so that uh, through your poverty, we could become rich. That is the incredible hope of the gospel that we have. And so we put our faith and our trust in you. And we ask you to continue to speak, continue to move, continue to do things in this community that we have no ability to take credit for because it's by your power being unleashed in this church. I pray that the story would just continue to be a, a church that is breathing life into this community here in Comstock Park in this area that's been so damaged over this last year. Uh, God, only you can do that. So thank you that we get to be a part of your work here on this earth. It's in your name, Jesus, that we trust. And everybody said, amen.